0: kingdom of priests, of being my treasured possession. He's revealing us to us and he's revealing himself to us. These are not just abstract rules. These are not just, you know, being God, I think this would be a good way to do it. It's, this is who I am. It flows out of his very nature. And so because we were made in his image and called to be holy as he is holy, he gives us who he is. He explains it. Yahweh here is setting the terms, but more than that he 's showing us the path the path of the liberated, the path of his people set free from slavery he 's setting forth before us the life that is truly life so that said we 're going to look at these these these, uh, these two commandments. Um, we also said last week that um, if you, look, if you notice, if you look at the commandments as a whole, it's um, our thoughts about God, our words about God, and then our actions toward God. Thought, word, deed. And then if you keep reading, the other commandments go in opposite order. The d- deeds toward one another, which is uh, you know, 5 through, through 8, and then our words about one another, in 9, and then our thoughts toward one another in 10. So, this is a neat way to think about and see the structure of, of the commands. So, we're looking at what we say about God and what we, how we uh, act toward God. Uh, specifically, he tells us one, to revere the name, that's our first point, revere the name of Yahweh. And then, secondly, to rest in the pattern of Yahweh. To to revere the name of Yahweh and to rest in the pattern of Yahweh. Those are our two points as we look at these commandments three and four. Well, let's look at this look at the commandment three. It says um, that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you know, we don't use the word vain a lot, V-A-I-N, not V-E-I-N. We know that. If your kids are listening, you know, this is not veins in your arm. But vain, vanity, maybe you've heard that word before, what does it mean? Vain literally means something that is frivolous, insincere, or thoughtless. And so it's, this word is used of idols in the Old Testament. You can look at Psalm 31, verse 6, it says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols or vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. Also, Ezekiel 13.6, it says, They have seen false or vain visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them and they expect Him to fulfill their word. He's talking about the vain words of false prophets. The worthless words, insincere, faultless words. Worthless, insincere idols. And he's saying, do not speak my name in a vain, worthless, insincere way. It says, to take the name. That's an interesting phrase as well. Do not take His name in vain. How do you take a name? We all think we know it. Have you just thought about that? What, is that? what does that mean? To take His name. Uh, another way to translate it is to pronounce His name in vain. But literally, in the Hebrew, it says... Um, and I'm not trying to show off, this actually matters. Uh, but it, it's translated to lift up. Or, you know, that's why, to take, to take up. To lift up the name in vain, in, in a worthless, insincere way. Um, so, in, in, in a very narrow sense, you could say this is about taking an oath, taking up a name. And using, you know, and saying, I, I swear by, you know... Take the name you know when you 're uh, in a courtroom, you put your name on a Bible and you promise to tell the truth it, it, you know again it, it does it does apply to that we should not use yahweh 's name god 's name Jesus, the father, any of those names in a frivolous way in a court of law you shouldn 't say that and then lie you should recognize the 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 uh, how profound it is that you're using that word, that name. But it's much broader. It's much broader applying to all of life. It's not just a courtroom situation. He, he, he goes on to say that, um, that you know, it's, it's so sinful because of the way the Hebrews thought about names. And you see this in the scripture, you know, they'll give a name and they'll give you the meaning of the name. And that the name is supposed to capture the essence of who a person is. Um, It represents the nature or character of an individual. And so remember, what, what does Yahweh mean? Yahweh was given that name. It was pronounced. He says, "Who?" Moses looked, and he's talking to the burning bush. He's talking to God that's revealed Himself in the burning bush, and he says, "Who should I say that sent me?" He says, "Yahweh, I am that I am, the eternal covenant God." Um, he says, "This is this is who I am," and so um, that's who sent you. And so, when we think about this name that, that has all this tied to it, not only just that he's pre existed and depends on no other to exist, I am that I am. He's just not the, no one begot him, no one created him, no one you know he is he has existed before all time. But also he's revealed through all these actions. If we just if we just look at Exodus, what do we now know is true of Yahweh? I am that I am well, He's revealed this. He's revealed that He's the Holy One, that He's the God of the Covenant, that He is the Redeemer, He's the Deliverer, He's the Judge, He's the Caring God who provides what we need each day. He's the God of Reconciliation who brings His people to Himself. Again, He's, he's revealed so much about what He is and who He is and that's all tied up in His name. To use the name of God is to talk about who He is. And again, the whole of the Ten Commandments starts with what? I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God. So it matters. It matters how you use the name because in that name, in the name of God... All that He is, is represented. So when someone insincerely or thoughtlessly invokes God's name, that person is proclaiming that God's being and nature, His essence, are worthless. That's that's what it is. And note the consequence... Not the consequence of using His name, pronouncing His name in a worthless or insincere way. He says, The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. It would seem that God's very serious about this, doesn't it? This isn't an optional thing. These are all commands. These are all, Thus saith the Lord. This is, You shall not. And and there are consequences. Just Just like... last week and i didn't get to touch on this you know we, we look at the consequence of of uh, making idols and it says what does it say it says that um they will, you know that um that he would visit iniquity on the fathers on on the fathers the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me that's pretty intense isn't it But also, I want you to realize that both both the consequences here, yes, it's God saying there's consequences for sin, but also, this is the natural consequence. Have you thought about that? Uh, Regarding the second commandment, if you make idols and you define me in such a way, you limit who I am in making this this image, then you're really not worshipping me And it's going to be to your detriment. If this is the way and the truth and the life, if this is the life that is truly life, and you decide to veer off, it's going to affect you and the generations to come. And the same is true of the third commandment. You're not carving, you're not forming an image out of stone or rock, but you are speaking of God invoking the name of God in a way that diminishes him that redefines him and you're going to it's it's going to affect your faith it's going to affect your your life it's going to you're you're not going to really live and acknowledge the truth of who he is if you invoke his name as though it's worthless or or meaningless vanity The mark of the believer, according to Psalm 5, it says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. We say things like, bless his holy name. We say that a lot. That's a real churchy thing to do, to say, right? Bless his name. You know, we, talk, we don't say that about other people, do we? Sometimes we say bless their heart. That doesn't really mean blessing, does it? That's a... We shouldn't say, use that one. But we don't say, you know, bless, bless Sean's name. I don't, you don't say that, you know? That's weird. What do you mean by that? I, could, I can ask God to bless you, but bless your name, well, that's, that's strange. But when we say that, we're saying, may we say that the name of God, again, it is one with God. Bless God. May, may all that is due, all the praise and honor and glory that He deserves be unto Him. May He be blessed. He is, he is worthy of our praise. And so, again, His name and His person go hand in hand. We are to love His name and bless His name, but also realize that as a believer, it is this name which blesses us. Think about it. Um, the, The benediction that Moses gives to Aaron, May the Lord bless you. And keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you. May He may the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Who where does the where does the grace and the peace and the favor come from? The Lord. And and then after saying that, after giving that benediction, Um, This is from an article by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, God says about the priest after giving this benediction. He says, this is number 627. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Ferguson goes on to say, He says, When the people of God received this blessing, God was putting His name on them. So to take the name of the Lord your God in vain was to be someone who accepted the Lord's benediction and then went away and lived as if he or she had never received it. And he goes on to point out, that's not just an Old Testament problem. You know, we could just look down on the Old Testament believers and go, Man, I can't believe you received that. And you received the name of God and you just went off and you keep reading the story. and You know, they don't act like they've received the blessing of God, do they? A lot of the times. But we, we just did the same thing just now. The New Testament, the, the greater version of that is baptism. I just had the privilege to baptize someone, what? In the name. Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You, if you're in Christ, you've probably been baptized and received the blessing of the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The here's the challenge. This is what Ferguson goes on to say, goes, but here's the challenge. Am I living as though that had never happened? Or living as though my baptism was just an empty sign or merely a sign of something I did in the past. So it doesn't really matter so much today. If so, I couldn't be further from the truth. So not only is it saying, using Jesus or Christ or God in a way that's a slur or an expletive, but it's also recognizing, acting as though the, na- the blessing of the name of God which is upon us doesn't mean anything. And that's another way we can act like the name of God is worthless of, of no consequence. His name is Him. It captures His essence and we as believers are to Rejoice in the name. Have joy in the name and the person of all that he is and all that that name represents. And never think of it and use it or live as though the name has no meaning. Second point is this. We are to also rest in the pattern of Yahweh. This is the first commandment that 's not prohibitive it 's not a negative it 's not a negation. We have thou shalt not you shall not you shall not now remember remember the Sabbath to keep it holy why does he say why is that why is that different Why do you think well we 've already heard it if you've, if you 're reading this in context of the book of Exodus. He's already given instructions for Sabbath in Exodus 16. That was a, was a big deal. And the reason it, it, that to acknowledge the Sabbath is to, is to acknowledge that they've been set free from slavery. It's to rejoice in the, the freedom from being a slave in Egypt. He's already... Exp- laid out the requirements in Exodus 16. Also, as you keep reading this commandment, you realize that it doesn't just go back to uh, you know, a few months ago, as far as the Israelites are concerned. It goes all the way back to creation itself, doesn't it? All the way back to Genesis 2, 1-3. through 3. It is a, a creation ordinance. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the Sabbath of the, the Lord... Why? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. This is how God went about His business in creation. This is what He's already laid out in a way to... to To acknowledge and rest in God who set them free. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to do anything. God provided a way out. He led them out. And now they no longer have to live as slaves. And so this has already been commanded. has already been demonstrated. But now it's fixed formally into this written code of covenant law. God has proclaimed it. It will be written in stone. This still has meaning for us, his people. What does Sabbath mean? It probably derives, and we don't know for sure, but from a Hebrew word called Shabbat, which means to cease, desist, or rest. So why, why did God give us this day? This one day in seven to rest? There's, there's five things I want you to, to hear. Five purposes of this. One. One. And I've said this before. It's to celebrate Israel's redemption from slavery. And this is very explicit in the second time that the Ten Commandments are given. As, as Moses is, is reiterating, renewing this covenant that God has given in Deuteronomy 5... Deuteronomy five fifteen as he's concluding as he's giving the command he says you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day how, how many of you think about it in those terms this is for the God's people this is to celebrate that they're not slaves. We've been, that they've been set free from Egypt. It's a day for us to, to, to acknowledge and celebrate that we're not slaves to sin. That we're not slave to this world. We're not a slave to the devil. That we've been set free in Christ. That, we, that we've been made distinct and we're set apart. That's another, That's the second thing I want you to see. It's a sign of the covenant between God and His people that we really are to be living differently from everyone else. And yes, you know the Old Testament had the sign of circumcision. New Testament, we have the sign of baptism. But also, we have this pattern of life that we pause one in seven that sets us apart. Is God's people. The third thing, the third reason is it's a time of rest, refreshment, and recuperation for all God's creatures. Look what it says. It says, On it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or even the, the sojourner that's the within your gates. Everyone is to take a break. And again, this was tied to in Exodus 16 to Hey, you know what? On this seventh day, on the day before the seventh, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you a double portion of manna. Every day I want you to pick up just what you need for for that day. But on on the sixth day, I want you to pick up twice as much. And that's going to carry over and you don't even have to go pick up manna. You just eat. You just be. Why? Because remember, I'm the sustainer. I'm the provider. I'm the redeemer. I'm the deliverer. You're not. here's the thing though we hear this we hear this positive command and in our sinful hearts we look at it as it's God taking something away don't we God's God's taking a day from me he's limiting what I can do let me ask you something you just wake up some mornings going I gotta, I gotta figure this day out you ever just not want to get up cause you're just your eyes open and maybe it's at 4am cause your mind wakes you up and you're just thinking about all the things you gotta figure out today you ever done that and you get up hectic and start or you're so overwhelmed you pull the covers over your head and just go back to sleep. You I mean, I've got to figure out another day. I've got to make things happen. And God is saying, I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> I'm going to take that from you. And we should be going, please take it. <laughs> Please take one of these days and tell me how to, and just set me free. The other six are hard enough. And I want you to, I want you to chill. I want you to have some refreshment and some rest. You know who doesn't get to do that? Slaves don't get to do that. And a lot of times we live like slaves. Now, this also, yes, it says, don't work, but it also says, you shall work the other six days. You know, in our culture, everybody's, you know, everybody's working for the weekend, right? I don't know who said that. Is that, that's not in the Bible. It's a song. Anyway, everybody's working for the weekend and we, we do what we want to on Saturday and then we leave all this stuff we didn't do Saturday for the Lord's day. And then we're an- anxious and geared up and doing homework and finishing the project or out in the yard. I mean, and I do it too. I, I, don't, I don't hear what I'm not saying. I, and then I go, and then I start Monday tired and I'm going, why? Duh. Right? How about take advantage? Now, some of you in here got jobs you've got to work on Sunday. Hey, I'm working. Y'all think I, you know, anyway, this is my job. It's not the only day I work. I hate that joke. You just work on one day a week. You're like, uh, come follow me around. Anyway, but so, I mean, it's not. And again, there's some there's some ambiguity here. You know, sometimes you think about the Sabbath is well. Tell me what I can do, what I can't do. Give me, and we we want to legalize it. We want to add to things that God hasn't said, and that's what the Pharisees did. And like, you couldn't couldn't you know you know water in the grass, watering the crops are bad, so you can't even spit. I mean, that that was literally the Pharisee, a rule. The Pharisees had. They just kept you know. How do I keep the Sabbath? Uh, where it was just this tight, narrow road that was a burden. And that's not what God means. That's not what He does. That's not why He gives it. Again, uh, the Sabbath, uh, the man is not for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man. That's what Jesus says. It's, it's for our good. And here we go. We're listening to these laws, these, these commands, in the context of grace as a loving Father who cares for us. and He's saying, I want to help you. I want you to work and be diligent, as I worked. Again, this brings us back to the pattern. So we have Israel's redemption is supposed to be uh, celebrated on the Sabbath. Uh, it's a sign of the covenant between God and His people. It's a time of rest and recuperation, but also it reflects the pattern, God's pattern. It reflects who He is. And when God made all things, He said, "Okay, I want to take a day just to bask, just to rest." He goes, I want, I want you to do that. Not to bask in all that we've done, but look, ba- one day a week. Bask in what I've done. And Sinclair Ferguson points out, it was, it, was, it was God's seventh day, but it was Adam's first day. He spent his first day basking. Look. At my God, my Creator, my loving Father who has made me in all things. Look at the garden, look at the provision, look at the love, look at the companionship, look at that. And now in Christ, we can do the same thing. It's also a day of holy convocation, according to Leviticus 23. Six days you shall work... Your work shall be done, but on the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest and holy convocation. What does that mean? That means worship. Gathering with the people of God. Worshipping Him. Reveling in Him. Basking in His glory and grace. We are made in His image, and so therefore we are to... Live like Him. He says, I'm holy, so you should be holy. And one of the ways we do that is not by... It's, it's ama- think about this. One of the ways we are... Here's the, the goodness and grace of God. You can be like me by just not doing anything one day. <laughs> by just resting... And meditating, and worshiping me, and re- in public worship, in private worship, in acts of loving kindness and service to your, to your fellow uh, Christians and to your fellow man. Like, take a day, make this unique and different and know that I've got you. You don't have to plan today, he says. I've planned it for you. And again, how that's going to play out in your life, what it's going to look like. Uh, Motier, another writer, says that the vagueness is doubtless deliberate, leaving room for individual choice and personal preference. But it's still supposed to be a day that's different and set apart. And it's a gift. Um, Oftentimes, I I know I've been set free and yet I live like a slave. I know that God is watching over me and keeping me and he has me but I will work and labor seven days sometimes eight days a week. That's not possible. Anyway, uh, that's, that's another song I think. Anyway, uh, trying to make earn my, earn his favor make things right figure life out and I'm not, I'm not living the way God created me to live. He made me to live dependent on Him. And He made me to, to enjoy Him. He made me to, to work and create and be like Him in that, but then to rest like Him. And to bask in His love and grace and His care. I tell this to, you know, this is a verse you might have known, you hear, you know, we say this at night when I'm tucking my girls in, you can sleep tonight because the Lord your God never slumbers nor sleeps. So you can sleep. You can close your eyes and know you're okay. You and I can rest. Because God God never stops taking care of us. How do we speak about God? How do we live in light of God's reality? How do we we speak about God in light of of who he is? He tells us. He doesn't leave us in the murk and the mire to figure it out. He goes, I want you to be near me. You know, he's saying this from on high on the mountaintop. And they're on the foot of the Mount Sinai and they can't come any closer than that foot. But but he brought them to Sinai. And he descended to Sinai. So not only are you supposed to get the the distance that there there needs to be atonement, there needs to be mediation, but do you see how they left Egypt and there was a beeline to come to where I am and I'm going to meet you and yeah, there's this gap. But God gives His word to a people that He's already delivered, that He's set free and He says, I want you to live in that liberty. Now what's missing? What missing? Again, there we are. God coming down, meeting His people, speaking to His people. His people being brought, but then we need this mediation. And so when you when you read these commands and you go, I, I I don't keep the Sabbath holy. I take the name of the Lord in vain. I, I might not you you might not set use you might not use. The name God or Christ or Jesus in, a, in an expletive, but there are times definitely where I act like the God of blessing is not the God of blessing and that the blessing that's upon my life doesn't really mean much. Yes, I am guilty, but here again, the picture is God says, Moses, come on up. You need a mediator, and I provided one. You need a high priest. Aaron, bring Aaron with you. The good news is that Jesus Christ. Has kept he did always pattern his life as perfectly patterned after his father in no way did he deviate, and he never spoke about his father in any way but other than who he is and what he is and what he 's about. He did that perfectly for you and for me. so we have here the table. We need help to speak his name truthfully and not in vain. We need help to keep the Sabbath and recognize it's for our good. And this table commemorates, it points back to what? To the cross. Do you doubt God's goodness? When you look at the cross, can you doubt God's goodness and love for you? Can you, can you, can you, when you look at the cross and doubt that He's made a way, He's made a way. He's kept this, kept this commands so that you can't keep. But He's also made a way for you to draw near and to begin to live by the power of the Spirit, the life that's true to life, and to live out these patterns, these words that God has given us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this time in Your Word. We pray that You would bless it and help us to acknowledge You as we should and to live, um, to pattern our lives after You and to speak to You with reverence and awe. We thank You that... um, for speaking and how, how, to, how to approach you, how to live before you and how to, how to do life. Um, Lord, help us more and more to keep this, this day holy. Help us to do our work the first six days of the week so we can actually rest and bask in your glory and grace. And Lord, may this your word, this, this time of worship and this the taking of, of the supper uh, be to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper is the family meal of Christians, so we invite all committed followers of Jesus Christ to share in this sacrament. Those who are baptized members of a congregation that proclaims the gospel, who are at peace with God and their neighbor, and who seek strength to live in a deeper communion with Jesus. If you're not a Christian or you are not prepared to share in this meal, we encourage you to spend this time in prayer. We hope that this time is helpful to you as you consider your relationship with Jesus Christ and with his people, the church. Um, if you are new to our church, i just let you know that um, if you are in this back section, you're going to go to the table in the back. If you're in this section behind the wall, you can go to this, the, that table in the back. Then everyone, uh, these three sections up front will come here. So let's, let's draw near and feed upon Christ.